In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. And may the Lord add his blessing upon the public reading of his word. I just invite you to keep your Bible open if you brought your own. If you didn't, open one uh, that's in the pew. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 1 here. And we're going to take a long time, really, to go through the Gospel of John. This is kind of an introduction this morning. Uh, John is one of the four Gospels, right? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic Gospels. And synoptic means to see together the events of Jesus' life. It's like you got four guys standing on the corner looking at Jesus' life, and they're giving a report, a witness to the events in Jesus' life. Now, John's gospel is a little different. It gets a little bit deeper than just the events that happen in Jesus' life. It deals with the spiritual meaning. So what is the theme of John's gospel? What is the main point of John's gospel? What is the bullseye of John's gospel? Well, in Matthew, uh, the theme is Christ as the king of the Jews. He's kind of writing to the Jews, even though it's for everybody, but his audience, he was thinking, was the Jews. And Mark, his theme was Christ as the servant. And, you know, in his mind, he's writing his audience as the Romans. And in Luke, Luke was, uh, his theme was Christ as the son of man. And in his mind, he's writing to the Greeks. And then John, his theme is Christ as the son of man. Of God, and in his mind, he is writing to the world. Remember John 3 16, for God so loved the world. He's writing to the world. And the key verse, the main verse in the Gospel of John is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Why was John writing the Gospel of John? It says, uh, Jesus did many miraculous signs, and I invite you to memorize these two verses. Jesus did many miraculous signs uh, in the presence, many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name and so the reason that he's writing is so that we might believe and so that we might have life in his name so let's go through a little highlights here You know, as you know, some of you people that uh, went through BSF last year studying the book of John, you should know all this stuff, right? You know, there's seven I am's in the book of John where Jesus said, I am, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So there's these I am's in there, and there's also seven, there's a lot of sevens in John. There's also seven miracles that are recorded there, and John calls them signs. These miracles are signs. 
And they point to the deity of Christ. They prove his deity. In other words, when you read through the Gospel of John, you should say, you know, who is this guy, Jesus? Who is he that, that, that turns the water into wine? Who is he that heals the paralytic? Who is this guy that feeds the 5,000? And who is this guy that stills the storm and opens the eyes of the blind and raises the dead? So all the miracles prove his deity and then he wrote this John wants his readers to believe and to have life in his name and so that's just kind of a short introduction I want to get into just a few points to ponder and then next week we're going to start off with Jesus being the word of God but points to ponder Uh, in him was life That's what it says in verse 4, right? In him, in him, that is in the word, in Jesus Christ, in the creator of the universe, who was with God and who was God, in him was life. In him was life. Therefore, in the beginning, before there was anything else but God, there was life. And I think this has two huge implications. The first implication is this. Ultimate reality is personal. Think about that. Ultimate reality is living. Ultimate reality is alive. Original reality, ultimate reality, absolute reality is a living person. Now, how can I help you see and feel the amazement and the wonder of this truth? Living God, the living God. God is real. God is alive. I mean, if your child, say four or five years old, asks, hey, where did God come from? Your child ever ask you that? You'll answer, well, uh, Or maybe you'll answer something like this. God didn't come from anywhere. He was always there. He never had a beginning. He was there before anything else was there. He made everything. There wasn't anything before God. And then your child might ask, well, how did he get to be the way he is? And you'll say, well, he he just is the way he is. He didn't get to be that way. He's always been what he is. Nobody made him the way he is. No force or no power made him what he is. He's been what he is like forever and ever and ever and ever. He just is. That's what it means to be God. God was and is and always will be. And one of the things God is is life. That's what verse 4 is saying. God is life. He's alive. He's a living person. Not necessarily a human person, spirit. He's a divine person. He's alive, doing things like thinking and feeling for all eternity. As far as back as you can go in eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, there's one changeless reality. Life. Divine. Personal life. Ultimate reality. Absolute reality. Original reality is alive. Verse 4, in him was life. Another implication is that physical matter did not give rise to life. Life gave rise to matter. I mean, once there was only life and no matter, and then that personal life created Matter, and there was both life and matter. And here's this great division between an atheistic worldview and a Christian worldview. For the atheist, everything begins with this inanimate matter and energy. It's just there since there was nothing there uh, before to make it what it is. Atheists choose to believe that in the beginning was matter and energy. They don't know this, they just guess. 
They say that impersonal matter and impersonal energy are original, that, that that's absolute, and, and they are ultimate. Then for billions of years, without a creator, without any intelligence, no design, no purpose, no plan, there emerges from mindless, lifeless, random matter and energy, not only the irreducible complexities of interdependent biological structures, but also this glorious thing called personhood or human beings. And that's their account of life. But for Christians, for us, who believe in this book called the Bible, it's the other way around. First there was life. And then there was physical matter and energy. First there was this living personhood. And then there was matter and energy. In the beginning was the word. And in him was life. Now, wherever you turn on this planet you, and you see a living person, you are seeing an image of absolute reality, really. Ultimate reality, original reality, the word who was with God and was God and was life. You never have met an ordinary human being. That's why I'm pro-life. I mean, there are no ordinary people. They're all amazing. You guys are all amazing. You are extraordinary. You're made in the image of God. There is a sanctity to each person, whether you believe in Jesus or not. There is a sanctity to human life. Which leads us to another point to ponder. Humans are special. You guys are special. <laughs> but you're all dead if you don't believe in Jesus. Do you understand that? Which is why everything we have said so far is not John's main point when he writes in verse four, in him was life. The life that John has in view is mainly new life. It's spiritual life, it's saving life, it's the gift of eternal life, the opposite of spiritual death now and then final condemnation later. That's mainly what John means. Mainly, he has in view the life that we do not have even though we are physically alive. Talk about the walking dead. Have you ever watched that show? Don't watch it. That's ugly. But that's what we are without Jesus. We're walking dead. Listen to John 5, 24. Jesus says, truly I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from what? From death to life. In other words, apart from believing in Jesus, we are all dead. In order to live forever and not come into judgment, we need that gift of life. And that life is in Jesus Christ, which leads us to another point to ponder. Union with Jesus is everything. Listen to 1 John 5, 11 and 12. He said it in his first letter, John, the same apostle that wrote the Gospel of John, he said, this is a testimony, God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So in him was life. So if you have him, you have life. If you reject him, you reject life. John 5:40. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you refuse to come to me that you might have life. John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And so I think it's clear that when John says in John chapter one, verse four, in him was life, he means spiritual life 
eternal life, life that saves from judgment, if you have the Son, if you have Jesus, if he is in you and you are in him, life is in you, you are in life, you have life forever. Vital union with Jesus is everything, which leads us to another point to ponder. Seeing, they do not see. I mean, why does John say in John 1, 4, the life that was the light of man? Because we really don't know what spiritual death and life are until we relate it to, to light and darkness and blindness. I mean, most people you see at the mall or people that you rub shoulders with every day, maybe at work or some of the kids at school, uh, they look alive. And if you tell them they're dead, you'll... They'll think you're nuts. They'll think you're out of your mind. But if you substitute spiritual blindness and darkness for deadness, then you start to see what John means. You know, people aren't dead because they can't walk or talk or think or feel or even see with their physical eyes. They are dead because seeing, they don't see. That's what Matthew 13, 13 says. Seeing, they don't see. Hearing, they don't hear. Which brings us to another point to ponder. New life brings light. They don't see Jesus as, you know, the Lord and the King and that name above all names that we sing about. They don't see Jesus as, as supremely valuable. They don't see his sacrifice on the cross as precious. They don't see his fellowship as the greatest treasure. They're blind to all these things. And they walk in darkness. And they're spiritually dead to, the, to these greatest of all realities. And if they're going to see these things and receive them, they've got to have life. Life will make seeing possible. And so John says in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. New life brings light. New life makes seeing possible. When death is replaced with life, darkness is replaced with light. I mean, John Chapter 8, verse 12, one of the great I am's, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the light of life, the light that comes with new life. And when you receive Jesus, when you receive, you receive life, and, and when you receive life, then you receive light. And that's what happened to me. Has that ever happened to you? Where you start to understand things a little more. You know, the carnal man doesn't understand the things of the spirit, but the spiritual man does. So when you become a spiritual person, you start to understand things a little bit more. And that's what happened to me. When I received Christ, when I gave my life to Christ, when I surrendered to Jesus Christ, the Bible actually started to make more sense to me. I knew a lot of the verses, but it's like somebody turned on the lights in my mind. Which leads us to another point to ponder. The darkness did not grasp the light. Now we come to verse 5, not verse 15. I think 15 is in the bulletin, but verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is talking about the coming of Jesus into the world. And that will be plain, I think, when we come to verses 10 and 11. And coming Into this world of ours is coming into darkness because we are all dead and we are all blind and that's the condition, really, of the entire world of humankind. Until we have Christ, 
We have not passed from death to life. And so Jesus comes into this darkness as the light of the world. The light of life has come into the world. And John says the darkness has not overcome it. That's in uh, one version. I think it's in the ESV version. But the NIV, the NASB, and the King James version all translate overcome differently. Namely, uh, to comprehend or to understand. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. It's just like our English word, grasp, can have two meanings. And so can the Greek word here, which is katalambano. The darkness did not grasp the light. That is, the darkness did not snatch it. It did not remove it. And the darkness did not grasp the light. That is, the darkness didn't understand it either. And I think John maybe had both meanings in mind as he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, which leads to another point to ponder, the only remedy. Verses 10 to 11, he shows us where the focus really is when Jesus comes into this darkened world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And I think that corresponds with verse 5. The darkness has not understood it. And then verse 11, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him. So the true light is coming into the world, the world that he made and the people that he chose. And I suspect John has in view here the whole world of human beings and the people of Israel in particular. The world belongs to Jesus. He made it. Israel belongs doubly to Jesus because he made them and chose them in the call of Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. When verse 9 says that this light coming into the world enlightens everyone, I think it means that Christ's light-giving life is offered to all as the only remedy. It's kind of like if the doctor would say this flu vaccine works for everyone. Now, we would know he means everyone who takes it, right? So in verse 9, the true light enlightens everyone. That is, everyone who receives it. Jesus is the only remedy. Another point to ponder, how does, how does the light triumph? What keeps, or what does God do to keep the darkness from overcoming the light? How does the light triumph in a world where everyone is dead and everyone is blind? And verse 12 and 13 give the answer, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. Now, everybody's created by God. God loves everybody, but you become a child of God. Everyone is not a child of God. They become a child of God. That's what it seems to say. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He came to the world. He came to his own, but they did not receive him. They were dead, and they were blind to who he was, but some received him. Some believed, who? The ones who were born of God, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And when they were born, they were alive, and they received life, and they believed, and they received him, and they became children of God. And God's answer to the deadness and blindness and darkness of the world is another point to ponder, the new birth. And our own John Wesley and uh, all the evangelists throughout the ages have, have preached the new birth. We need a new birth. 
we need to be born again. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? And we're going to get to that probably a few months down the road when we get to John chapter 3. Verse 3, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see it. You cannot receive it. You cannot enter it. Everything hangs on being born again because without this, we are dead and we are blind. God's remedy, send Jesus into the world as the light of life to lay down his life for us and to pay a price that he did not owe and then cause the people to be born again so that they can see him and receive him. Has God turned on the lights in your life? Have you received Jesus Christ Are you born again? Which leads maybe to another point to ponder. Seeing, I think, happens instantly. Which comes first, life or light? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? There's new birth and life. There's new sight. There's new faith or receiving Jesus. Are these like sequential in time? I don't think so. I mean, if my eyes are are closed as in death and blindness, then suddenly my eyes are open. Seeing happens instantly. I know I was, what did the hymn writer say? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Receiving light happens simultaneously with the opening. There's no lapse of time, right, between the eye opened and the light coming in. The meaning of the eye being opened is that light comes in. I mean, they are simultaneous, and that's the way the new birth works. It imparts life and The meaning of that life is that it sees, but be careful. In verse 4, it says, in him is life. Life is never disconnected from Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. Now, how do we have the, the Son? We receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, that is, we believe on him, we trust in him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. That's why John Wesley said to all his preachers, offer them Christ. That's what they need. They need Jesus. People need Jesus. People need Christ. People need to be born again. Another point to ponder. Three simultaneous events. So now we have three events that happen at the same time. New birth, new sight, and new faith. In a sense, they're all talking about the same thing from like a different angle or different, different sides. And so here's how you become a child of God or may become one. We were dead and blind. As far as we were concerned, Christ was boring. Jesus was dull, unattractive. He was just a good man. Pretty good prophet, but not God. He was not the light of life. He was not... God, he was not Messiah, he was not Lord, he was not Savior, he was not our treasure. We were blind and we're dead to all of this. And then God, in his way, he initiated salvation in his sovereignty. And he graciously caused us to be born again. As we receive him, as we believe in him, that is, he gave us life, but verse 4 says that that life is in his son, so the way God gave us life is by uniting us with Christ. There is no saving life apart from Jesus Christ, and so the, 
So in the new birth, God, he unites us to Jesus Christ, who is our life, when we receive, when we believe. And the way we experience this event is that in the very act of coming alive, our eyes are open and we see Christ you know, for, for who he really is. We start to fall in love, him, in love with him like never before. We receive him consciously. His glory and his love just streams into our hearts. I just heard a testimony of a young wrestler. He said he was at camp one time. He said the love of God just, just, just overwhelmed him. He could hardly explain exactly what happened to him. We call this faith. And from another side, we call it new birth. And from another side, we call it seeing you know, with brand new eyes. And from another, we call it union with Christ. Now we have life, eternal life. And there are, I think there's no time gaps in all of this. Opening our spiritual eyes, seeing the glory of Christ, receiving him, these all happen simultaneously. And the last point to ponder is just look to the Lamb. Later on in chapter 1, John the Baptist, he points at Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The reason this is so important is this. I think it teaches us that when Jesus commands us to believe on him for eternal life, like John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes has eternal life, you know, we don't wait for like a separate experience called the new birth before we believe, and we don't rush ahead to believe as though we could do it without the new birth. Instead, we just look steadfastly and committedly to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who laid down his life for us, and we realize that the willingness to receive him that's rising up in our hearts is a gift from God, and we believe, and in that very believing, we are born, born again. And so focus on this. Uh, the rest of the week, would you? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Only in Jesus is there eternal life, because only through him can our deadness be replaced with life, and our blindness be replaced with light. Come to him, believe on him, receive him, and he'll give you life and everlasting joy. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I thank you for the way you inspired uh, the scriptures through people like John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Apostle Paul, and the 36 others that you had uh, write the Holy Scriptures under the inspiration and the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that John's gospel is a gospel of love, that he is, according to his own name, a beloved one. I thank you that we can be one of your beloved too by receiving you, by accepting you, by trusting in you. Lord, that you initiate it. You come after us before we even come after you. We love you only because you loved us first. And I pray for anybody in this room, if they haven't experienced the love of Christ, that overwhelming glory of God in their life, the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show them who you are that you are the Messiah, that you are the Christ, and that we can believe in you, we can trust in you, and we can have life, real life in your name that goes on even past the time when we die physically. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, 
Maybe God is coming after you today. Maybe you're going to experience him today as the hound of heaven, chasing you down, not to punish you for what you've done, but to save you from what you've done. And maybe he's standing right in front of you. He's saying, here I am. Would you receive me? Would you believe on me? And a way that you can come to him is simply by saying, you know, Jesus, I know that you have not been first in my life. I know that I haven't treasured you. I haven't valued you. In some ways, I thought you were boring. But Lord, it's all different now. You're waking me up. And Lord, I have sinned. I have come short of the glory of God. I've transgressed the commandments. But Lord, I want to thank you that you came into this dark world as the light of the world. And now you're standing at my heart's door and you're seeking an entrance. And I just say, please, come into my life. I receive you. I welcome you. Lord, I, want, I don't want to be like those who... You know, you came to your, your own, and your own did not even receive you. Lord, I want to be the one that receives you, that believes in, in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would come in and make me a brand new person. I want to be born again by the Spirit of God. I give you praise, Lord. And now, as we gather the tithe and the offering, Lord, I just thank you that you give us the privilege of giving, of sharing our love with you and honoring you with the tithe and with our offerings, Lord. I pray that uh, we could sing the words to this great hymn and believe them. Well, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. We offer our gifts and our love back to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.